Well, good morning, Watermark. We are not just going to say hello to Dallas, and we're not going to say hello to Fort Worth and our friends in Plano who are watching online, but today's the first day our friends who are going to begin to gather and minister and be on mission in Frisco are gathering, and so it's pretty exciting. Uh, they're meeting at four o'clock on the Plano campus for the next several months before they'll um, eventually move up into uh, the Frisco area, but we have about 600 folks that are part of Watermark members in community that live in the Frisco area that just said, we think we could love and care for our friends more in Frisco uh, if we began to gather and minister to them throughout the week there and invite them to come just a few minutes as opposed to 45, which is basically the drive to one of those other campuses. So way to go. I love the attitude of this body. When people come to us and they say, we believe that God could use us more effectively if we did this. We know why we're here. And we're not asking for you to make us more comfortable by having us drive 15 minutes as opposed to 40 minutes. We're asking you to make us more effective and useful and fruitful in what we do. This is a perfect segue to where we are in the book of Acts. There is a tendency when we read the Bible to read it like um, uh, Homer's Iliad or maybe more likely uh, Aesop's fables or Grimm's fairy tales like uh, some American mythology, like we're a bunch of um, maybe uh, miners that need a story like John Henry that we know isn't true, but this mythological figure that could just um, wield his hammer and move through more stone and rock to get to the treasure so that we're motivated to do more ourselves, as if um, we know there's no John Henry, but we talk about him, we're lumberjacks. And we need a Paul Bunyan story to motivate us. Sometimes it's easy to look at scripture and think that Paul is a Paul Bunyan and think that, um, that other faithful men in history are just legendary tales that aren't true. Let me tell you what we're wrapping up in the next two weeks. We're studying the acts of the apostles or the acts of the Holy Spirit through those that he sent forth. The word apostle literally means one sent forth, specifically individuals who have seen the risen Lord that Jesus himself commissioned. And he said, look at on your understanding of who I am, um, on your being enabled and yielded to by being enabled by the Holy Spirit and yielded to the Holy Spirit, that's going to be the foundation. You're going to record the historical uh, events that I participated in and accomplished, specifically and most importantly, my crucifixion and my resurrection and everything that led up to that in order to tell people that my coming and providing for them was God's um, effort to reconcile fallen humanity from his loving person before he brings full and complete judgment. The rescue mission is complete with Jesus. And now what he wants us to do is to continue to be heralds of the provision that was made until God decides to roll up all that is wrong with the fallen, sinful, broken, satanic, unkingdom of God-like world that we live in. Now what God has done is the scripture says this, that, that God is not slow as some count slowness. But he's patient towards you, wishing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he just basically said this, I'm going to leave you here, but not as orphans. I will be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
and you will be useful and fruitful to me as you yield to me. You take up your cross. You put yourself under my authority. You deny yourself and you follow me. I will send you forth. Now listen, I've never seen Jesus physically, but the Bible has enlightened the eyes of my heart. The scripture, the spirit of God has shown me who Jesus is through, um, through my own personal study of the historical empirical evidence of the resurrection event and other um, observations and studies I've made and looked, I see that the preponderance of evidence suggests that this Jesus was a historical figure and the works attributed to him and the words that he attested to and have been written about him would more than seem to suggest that he is exactly who he says he is. And I've put my hope in him. And now I have seen, if you will, by the eyes of faith, the resurrected Lord. And guess what? I wouldn't call myself an apostle, but I would tell you that I am sent forth. There's a rather famous, um, right now, church planning organization. It's called Acts 29. And it's called Acts 29. If you look in your Bible, which I hope you will in a moment, you're going to find out there is no Acts 29. It ends at Acts 28, but no, it doesn't. Because here's the thing, the work of the Holy Spirit continues through his church, and there are more chapters to be written. What I would tell you, what we're trying to do at this pastor's conference this morning, if you're here as a guest, you need to know we are here to equip the saints, to declare to you the excellencies of our God that you might come to him and join us in the only mission that matters. But this is Acts 2018, is what this is. And we're writing new stories. And what you need to see is the reason when you walk in that we hand you a watermark news is because I want you to know that we serve a risen king who isn't dead. The visible image of the invisible God was Jesus Christ. And the visible image of the risen Jesus is his church. Now look, you probably, many of you, like me, had not seen Jesus represented well on earth. I haven't seen people be his ambassadors. I haven't seen people um, be ministers of reconciliation. I haven't seen the kindness of God often through his church, the way I've seen it through Jesus in the scripture. And so because of that, I rejected God. I discounted Jesus. But then I ran into genuine Christ followers. And it changed my life. I was listening to my buddy J.J. Bartow, who's a member of our church. Uh, we were together at a, um, a Young Life event on Friday. We're um, just having some fun, telling people about that ministry and encouraging people to support it. And J.J. talked about when he was a 15-year-old kid. And uh, somebody with a volunteer with Young Life who uh, started to love on him and encourage him and invite him and host him to be around a place where Jesus was rightly followed, pursued, and spoken of. And he said, when I came to understand who these people were that were changed by God and that they loved me by the power and name of God, he said, it changed my everything forever. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what, I'm going to tell you something. If your everything hasn't been changed forever, you have not met Jesus the way you're supposed to meet Jesus. And so what you're about to see is there is a historical figure whose name is Paul and he's not some legend. He didn't have a blue ox. This is a man that just saw Jesus, understood who Jesus was, yielded to the spirit of God, which we have when we are reconciled to God by grace through faith, that we now see the Holy Spirit is good. We don't quench it and grieve him. We go, I want more of you. And God in his kindness works through broken, infallible men to do amazing things. So when you walk in here, we hand you a watermark news. And there is a story there of a garrison demoniac whose life has been radically changed. A person who was living among the dead was a terror to himself and to others. 
who is now clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that happened in Acts 2018. That's who we are. We are people on a mission. We are sent forth. Um, I have a friend who has started to hang out here with us. Um, He's been a believer for many years. But he said, Todd, I've been in a country club church for a long time. That's what he called it, not me. And he said, it wasn't until I got under what he called convictional preaching. When you called me to act, to respond, not just to attend and take notes and hear stories about men who used to do great things for God, but to be a man that is left here and live on mission. He said, Tom, I'm a bold person. I'm not afraid. I don't share my faith. I haven't shared my faith and I don't know how long. And he sent me a text this last week and I sent back, this is the favorite text of the year. He said, I have gotten in the game. I have been on mission. He talked about stories that this leader in business who was a good man, who wrote big checks to send people other places, but who himself did not act like a sent person. And because of that, he wasn't the church that God intended him to be. Church isn't a thing you go to, it's a people you are. And we gather together as his people to remind ourselves of things that are true. And we are here to be equipped and sent forth so that others can know our king and their everything can be changed forever. Amen? And so I love that some folks are beginning to gather in Frisco, but Acts 28 is history. So is Acts 2018. And Jesus is still busy. Now look, when you study the Bible, sometimes you can, um, you can overcomplicate it. I'm just gonna show you what I did when I read Acts 28. I just stop, I listen, I make observations, and I expect it to change me. So let me just remind you of what's going on. This is the, 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 the subtext, the context of what's been happening. If you walk back through Acts, you would know that Paul, who was a Pharisee, who was persecuting people that said that the Jesus, that the Jews in consort with Rome, that all the world rejected as God's agent of grace, the world crucified him and, and mocked him and, um, and, and they hated him. And Paul hated anybody that said that that was the Jewish Messiah because they believed the Messiah was going to not be crucified by Rome, but take Rome to task and break the yoke of Rome's oppression over all of Israel. And when Jesus wasn't gonna break them from the tyrant that was Caesar, Israel rejected him. And Jesus said, you got a bigger problem than Caesar. You've got something else reigning in your heart called sin. And that's your problem. And so what we have is um, Paul who meets Jesus, whose life has changed. He runs back to Jerusalem to tell his buddies in Jerusalem. Let me just tell you, man, I had it all wrong. God tells him in Acts chapter um, 22, in one of Paul's testimonies, he just basically says this. Hey, Paul, make haste. Get out of Jerusalem because they will not accept your testimony about me. And he says, I'm going to use you. I got Peter. I got James. I got John. I got others right here in Jerusalem. But you, a citizen of Rome from Tarsus up there in Asia Minor, I'm going to use you to take the gospel where it's not yet been because I want the whole world to know that my king has come. Now, what we have is the first missionary journey, the second missionary journey, the third missionary journey, and Paul is sweeping back through. And guess where he wants to go one more time? He wants to go back to Jerusalem. 
And he wants to tell his brothers one more time about how kind and good God is. And people meet him along the way. Uh, in Acts 21, we find out there were some folks that were there that were begging him. Men and women that, that, that were filled with the spirit that said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It's not going to go well for you. And Paul said, I got to go. Um, there was a prophet, Agabus, who said, bro, if you go there, you're going to be put in chains. And then sure enough, he got there and there was all kinds of trouble. And there was a riot and they wanted to kill Paul. And we find a, uh, a Roman leader found out that Paul was a Roman. And so he had to have a fair trial and he pulled him out. And there was all kinds of, of, of um, scuttlebutt going on. And in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, this is key. Uh, it says, but on the night immediately following all this craziness, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must also witness to Rome. Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. Here's why Paul wanted to go to Rome. Because it was, it was the beginning of going even further to the West. And Paul wanted to take the gospel where it had never been preached. Anybody who knows Jesus should want to share with other people the kindness of God. Can I just tell you guys something? Um, people are evangelists. Everybody is an evangelist about stuff, okay? Um, I had a bunch of friends say, Wagner, man, you've got to go see the movie The Quiet Place. It's amazing, right? It's not a gory, scary movie. It's just, it shows family. They love each other. They pray. There's Christian themes. The dad lays down his life for his kids. It's got all kinds of gospel overtones. I saw my wife last night. I go, let's go see this movie. It was awful, all right? It was awful. But, but people evangelized me, all right? And I was gone. I was all in. I mean, gospel themes, tension, right? Uh, it was awful, all right? It made me want to go see The Greatest Showman again, and that was awful. Okay, so you may not like me as a movie critic, but what I, my point is is that people... People are, are, are um, they're not afraid to share something with somebody who doesn't have what they have. If you know God and that you've been reconciled to him, the provision of Christ, you ought to be like, I can't wait to take the gospel where it's never gone before. This is who this guy is, and it's for you to not be motivated by him, but to understand that God is motivated by love, and when you come to understand his love, part of the evidence that you really have understood it is that you can't help but share it. Are you sharing your faith? Because if you're not sharing your faith, you need to tune in, and I think you need to be converted this morning. Amen. Just flat up. Yes. If you're not a part of Acts 29 through Acts 2018, it's probably because you're not acting like a member of the church. And the only reason I can suppose that you don't act like a member of the church is you're not truly a part of the church. You're just part of this cultural phenomena that is country club Christianity. May it never be. So we are sent forth. Let's learn something. Acts 28. Got your Bible? Open that bad boy up. When they had been brought safely through, all right, you're like, what, what, okay, see last week's message, all right, they had been brought, brought safely through a storm, uh, there were all kinds of uh, great troubles, we know that Paul was at sea, I'm going to come back and talk about this more in just a moment, okay, but they were shipwrecked. They were without sunlight for days, they didn't eat, everybody thought they were going to die, Paul was on a grain ship with 200 plus odd other men. 
And it says, uh, Acts 28 is picking it up after this storm at sea and certain death that they were delivered from. And Paul throughout it, okay, Paul throughout it was filled with peace. Question, why was Paul filled with peace? Paul was filled with peace because of the word of God. Remember what I told you just um, years earlier before he was jerked up to Caesarea to go sit before the proconsul, um, first Felix and then Festus and then King Agrippa. Um, he was told by an angel of the Lord, hey, Paul, don't worry, you're going to Rome. And so based on the testimony of the word of God, Paul was sure that, that there was going to be a journey to Rome. And so when that ship is being tossed and turned and flipped in the middle of the sea, um, which God didn't tell him that he'd be shipwrecked, God didn't tell him that he'd be held prisoner in Caesarea for two plus years, God didn't tell him that he was going to be bit by a viper like we're about to see. He just said, you're going to Rome. And that became Paul's peace. Can I just say this to you right here? I want to insert this. You have been told that you're going home. You're going home. But God has not told you that it will be health, wealth, and prosperity until you get there. Anybody that's telling you that on the way to Rome, on the way home, you're going to have nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity is not teaching you the Bible. They're lying to you. They're selling you something. And they're going to set you up for disappointment with God and the life before you. All I know is that you're going home. You might go home with ALS. You might go home with betrayal and treachery. You might go home by being misunderstood um, by the world. But you're going home. And so you can sing in the storm. And we're going to find out why we have to do that. So it says, when they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island that they were basically washed up on was called Malta. Malta is the root word. Uh, it means honey or sweet place, a place of refuge. What's really interesting about this is, how many of y'all saw the movie, The Apostle Paul? I'm an evangelist for that movie. All right, go see that movie. It's an excellent movie, okay? Interestingly enough, it was shot, okay, uh, on the island of Malta. So who knew, 2,000 years after Paul got washed up there in a shipwreck, you know, I'm sure an angel of the Lord didn't tell him, hey, there's gonna be this thing a little bit later called film and cinema, all right? In 2017, they're gonna shoot this movie and it's gonna be in theaters in 2018 because God's gonna have tarried, he's not gonna have come back yet and it's gonna be a movie about you and when you're persecuted a couple of years from now in Rome by Nero and all the church is scared and trying to figure out what to do, we're gonna make a movie about your life, Paul, modeling peace in the midst of the storm and we're gonna shoot it right here in Malta. But we're not there yet, Paul, you still got work to do. <laughs> it was all there, man. God knew all that, all right? Um, and so uh, they come up to this sweet place. It says this in verse two. It says the natives, now look, how many of your Bibles have a word other than native, all right? You got your Bible out? Anybody have a word other than native in your Bible? Raise your hand. What is this? Barbarian, isn't it? Does it say barbarian? All right? A lot of Bibles have the word barbarian there. Now, what's a barbarian? A barbarian is anybody that um, speaks in a way that the elitist Greeks didn't understand. It is the, the name barbarian is itself an onomatopoeia. All right? Anybody know what an onomatopoeia is? Onomatopoeia is a word that we get from the sound of the thing it's trying to communicate about it. So buzz is an onomatopoeia. Uh, swoosh. All right? Groan is an onomatopoeia. Y'all get it? It literally means, uh, 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 it's made up of two Greek words. One which means to name and the other one is to make or to make a name. 
So the sound makes the name of the thing. Okay. Barbarian is an onomatopoeia because the Greeks, when they would listen to folks who didn't speak Greece, if they spoke Phoenician, if they spoke um, English, okay, it would sound to them like bar, 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 bar. And so they called them barbarians. That's what they called them. I'm not kidding you. That's literally where it comes from. All right. Now, look, I say this, I'm going to just make an observation here because um, what they really were was just natives. But how many times, well, we've talked a little bit about, um, about ethnicities here. I'm not a big fan of race and using that term because there's only one race. One race. Every single one of us come from the exact same mother and father. There's one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We all come from Adam and Eve. All right? And so uh, there's one race. There's a lot of different ethnicities and there's a lot of different uh, natives to different places. And when you're native to a certain place, we know why they start to speak different languages. But how many times do you meet people who don't speak your language and because they don't speak your language, you think they are uncivilized. They are unintelligent. All right? You meet somebody from Wakanda and because they don't speak English, all right, you have no idea that they've got a more advanced civilization than yours if you're into Marvel comics, all right? Right? T'Challa, he's just flat, straight up smart, right? But you don't know that because he can't speak English, so you treat him like a slave and he's a barbarian, an uncivilized person. Right here, I, I say this because, um, you know, even here at Watermark, we've got some of our friends that, that um, work for the security firm that we've got. Uh, many of them are, are some are from Iraq, um, some are from Iran, some are from Afghanistan. And, and these individuals, I, I come when I talk to them, they're, they're, their English is, is not very good. They just, they learn my name. They go, hi, hi Mr. Todd. Hello, nice to see you. And, 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 and they learn things initially and, and at first that make it sound like, man, that guy's not very smart. He didn't know how to do much more than say hello. Just like me when I go to Mexico, right? It's como esta, right? Or, uh, or uh, adios, right? Or uh, buenas tardes or whatever. I got a few, right? But like that poor brother ain't got no sense, right? When I'm down in Mexico. I mean, I, I literally, I mean, I'm like, you know, I, if I go to the bathroom, I like, you know, like that's all I got, right? Unless I can remember some things from Mariana's and go like, Caliberos, Banos, you know, they're like, wow, buddy, put a sentence together, but over there, okay? And so sometimes we see people, and let me just tell you, some of these guys, I come and talk to them, they were pharmacists in their land. They were training to be, um, be surgeons, they were lawyers where they were from. And just because they don't know the language, and many times our government didn't even let them work, and they're giving you a big gulp, you think they're barbarians. No, they're not. They're people made in the glorious image of God. And don't be an elitist Greek who, because they don't speak the language of Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates, they're not as good and valuable as you. They're a bar, 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 bar. So this is what was happening. These natives, these barbarians, it says, showed us extraordinary kindness. So what have I done so far, man? I've not, I've not gotten very far. Um, and, and, and you don't need to, right? I'm just telling you, because you guys read through this. Here's the problem. This is the way you read your Bible sometimes. You kind of go, okay, I'm in hand, I'm in hand. Acts 28. This is not an amulet. It's not a good luck charm. You don't read it in some um, flippant devotional way. Like, okay, I did that. I took my Flintstones vitamin. And now I'm moving on. I'm going to eat Cheetos all day and, and act like it didn't make a difference. Well, it did because I ate the Flintstones vitamin. No, this 
is a book that you are supposed to be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, then your life will have meaning. And then you'll prosper because you'll be investing in the only thing that matters. And so when you read your Bible, you stop, you make observations. Okay, what's a barbarian? What, what, what do, you, do, I, do I treat certain people like barbarian? Just because they don't speak my language? What a foolish thing to do. Because you're going to find out that these guys showed extraordinary kindness. Let me just tell you something about God. Um, God himself is marked by kindness. These, these people were unregenerate. They did not know the risen king. But when Jesus sent out his disciples, do you remember what he told them to go look for? In, in unregenerate Israel, when Jesus was there, people had a, a ritualistic faith, a dead religion, folks who were Jewish in name only. They were not following God. They didn't fear God. They didn't love justice or do good. Jesus sent his disciples out throughout all of Israel. And what did he tell them? You go and look for a house of peace. You just go look for somebody who, is, who has just some semblance of hospitality who will take you in and be kind to you. And guess what's going to happen when you are kind to others? See, because this is the truth. All right, when, I know there was a Roman centurion on that boat. I know there was 200 of them. But man, these people hadn't eaten hardly for two weeks. They were whipped by the storm. They were washed up on a land where they were the minority ethnic groups, where they had no money, they had no arms. They could have been easily killed and eaten by the cannibals on Malta. They, they could have been um, taken into slavery, Right? They could have been immediately executed and then just taken all their, their um, all everything that washed up on shore that belonged to them. But no, the Maltese, uh, the Maltans said, no, we're going to be kind. They showed extraordinary kindness to them. And guess what happens when they showed kindness? They met the kindness of God. Because they were people of peace, God, God brought peace to them. And that's not really why he did it, because of their kindness. God is kind to wicked and ungrateful men. But here's the thing. Had they just declared war against someone they didn't know, they wouldn't have received. What are you missing because you're not kind to people? I mean, extraordinary kind to maybe people who don't um, serve you well. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, you know, let the love of the brethren always be there. In verse two, it says this, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by doing this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. See, these guys had no idea that washing up on their shore was an angel of God. The word angel literally means, um, it's the same word inside evangelist. All right. A you angel, E-U is the, the word for well. Angelos is the word for messenger. A, a good messenger is somebody who brings you good news. You know what the gospel means? It means good news. And so they're gonna show kindness to people because, because something was going on in Malta that, that that was just what they were going to do. This, this sweet place, they were gonna be kind and washed up on their shore now with somebody who's gonna show them extraordinary kindness. And I just stopped right here. I go, you know what? I've been around some people who don't know the Lord. And I go, man, that person is kinder than I am. Have you ever seen that? Yes. One of my best friends in the world is... Um, is a, is a racial Jew. He's brilliant. 
He was trained as a, um, uh, a microbiologist. The guy knows more about um, everything than I do. I mean, he knows seven, eight languages. Uh, one day I was with him in, in southern Israel, and I went over to Jordan for a while, and I came back, and I go, hey, man, what would you do today? And he goes, oh, I bought this book. It was a 500-page box, a book on, 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 on geological rock formations in the southern Israeli mountains. And I just go, what is wrong with you? What? And I go, I go, how long is it going to take you to read that? He goes, I read it. I read it. I was gone for six hours. I'm not kidding you. The brother is brilliant, and he is kind. And the way he loves people, I've been over there, I've taken my friends over there and everybody meets him. They go, man, that is the kindest person I've ever met. And he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And it convicts me continually. You know, my life verse for a long time has been 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which says this, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. In other words, become more like Jesus. All right. But I kind of blow through that part. And I also blow through the last part of my life verse. And the part I've always kind of focused on is the middle, which says this. Always be prepared to make a defense when anyone asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. I love to learn. I love to have um, a reasonable faith. I love to help people understand why you don't need to commit intellectual suicide to follow Jesus. But that whole verse is bracketed by this. Hey, become more like Jesus. And when you give an answer, this is the very end of 1 Peter 3.15, um, do it with gentleness and respect. Not like, what, what do you mean you don't think there was a resurrection? Have you done your homework? What do you mean the Bible is uh, just like every other book that claims it? Have you ever studied the Bible, understand where it came from, and have you ever held it up against the Koran? What are you talking about? Have you ever studied Hindu um, origins? See, that, that's not the way you go about it. I'll tell you what my other life verse is. It's Proverbs chapter three, verses three and four. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Because Todd, when you do that, then you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. I just want to go, Lord, listen, man, I, I, I need to pay more attention to this element. Am I marked by extraordinary kindness? Um, Mark Twain, this is the greatest thing Mark Twain never said. Um, it's a quote that is wrongly attributed to Mark Twain, but it's this. Kindness is the language the deaf can hear and the actions that blind can see. Kindness is the key that unlocks many doors. How about this one? Kindness has converted more men than zeal, eloquence, or knowledge. It's all true. It's all true. And I, I gotta tell you, my problem is not that I haven't prayed enough for kindness. By the way, I would never recommend you pray for kindness. I don't recommend people pray for self-discipline. I don't recommend that you pray for patience. You shouldn't. What you should do is say, Lord, I must do what John the Baptist said. I must decrease and you must increase. As you increase, as I take up my cross, deny myself and follow you, as I am a vessel for your spirit, um, as I do all things according to your spirit, which mightily works in me, I will bear the fruit of the spirit. What is the fruit? In other words, all of these things are there. When the spirit of God is present, then love is present, joy is present, peace is present, kindness is present, goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control are all present. 
And you can be sure when you're not being kind in that moment, you are not exhibiting, you are not following Jesus. If there is anybody that ought to be marked by extraordinary kindness, it is followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm preaching to myself here, okay? I mean, I'm stuck on verse two because I can't get past extraordinary kindness. Now watch, but let's learn because there's more to learn here, all right? It says, uh, for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, the Maltins had kindled a fire and received all of us. I, I, I just say it again, man. I wanna be a person who builds fires for cold and hurting people that they can gather around and be comforted with. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. Keep reading. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hands, they began saying to one another, what are we doing, man? We are clearly building a fire and offering refuge to a guy that the gods want to kill. Right? There's lots of shipwrecks but when people come up here and they're saved by some miraculous event and they get washed up on here, ain't nobody right away get bit by a poisonous snake. This dude, by the way, you ever heard the phrase, that guy snake bitten? Okay, that's where you, you all these, so many phrases in our, in our society that come from the Bible, this is the origin of that phrase. In other words, no matter what you do, bro, you're gonna always find trouble. They go, that brother is snake bitten. In other words, The gods are after him. He's going to be judged. And so they say this. They go, this guy is undoubtedly a murderer. Though he's been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed this brother to live. (laughs) Now, I I just stopped right here. And, um, And I just said, okay, let me just see what I can learn from here. And there's a bunch I can learn from this little section right here. First of all, you know, um, it it says that, that Paul, in verse five, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. And it says, when they were expecting verse six, that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. And they saw that he didn't fall down dead. They waited a long time. And when they saw that nothing unusual happened to him, now they go, wait a minute. This isn't a murderer. This is a God. And everything flipped in a moment. Okay, I've been bitten by a viper. Um, You see this video. This is a video of me actually in India. I should have been. This is one of the dumbest things I've ever done. I was at a snake charming village uh, and and this brother was uh, charming a snake and and I took this cobra and then, uh, yeah, that thing should have just bit my stupid face. All right. That was not one of my finer moments. All right. This is, this is looking back on that. I am in some rural village in India, hours away from any kind of civilization and some brother just gone and through a translator said, anybody want the snake? I go, I'll take the snake. And next thing there's a cobra around me and my, my daughter's going, dad, you're freaking me out. But look over here for a picture. And I snap. Now what happens when you snap? Yeah, it kind of breaks whatever was supposed to make this snake overwhelmed with the senses. And anyway, they got that snake off me pretty quick after I did that. And luckily I didn't lose half my face, but, but I haven't been by a viper, not that one. I remember I was in uh, Columbus, Texas. Uh, I was speaking at a camp. It was evening and I saw, I heard a big commotion over by a tree I was at and a bunch of kids go, snake, snake, snake. And some woman goes, oh, get away from it. Get away from it. It's fine. It's just a little snake. Let it alone. People always want to kill snakes. And I walk over, I saw right away it was a copperhead. I took a stick and I jammed it into its head and said, get away. Okay. This is a poisonous snake. And this lady freaked out. She goes, my daddy is a herptologist. Get away. You should, don't hurt that snake. People like you, you kill good animals. What are you doing? That's not a bad snake. I go, man, that is a copperhead. All right. 
You can tell by the shape of its head. You can tell by the hourglass design. And I was talking to her. And that stupid snake was there in kind of some soft soil. And I felt it bear its head, bear itself down. And it swung around. And I meant, bam, and it hit my hand. And I took that stick and I ran it through its head. And I picked it up. And I go, and the other way you're going to know that's a copperhead is in about 10 minutes, my arm's going to look like Popeye's. <laughs> and your daddy is a lousy herptologist. I go to a hospital in LaGrange, Texas. I may as well have been in Northern India. And the first, I brought the snake with me. I go, this is my problem. They go, get that out of our hospital immediately. And they say, and they said, brother, here's the bad news. You know, we, we're out of, we're out of anti-venom. The whole world is switching over now from a horse-based serum to a synthetic. And so no one has it. I go, well, what'd you do with the last guy that was snake bit around here? They go, we care flight him to Austin. And I'm like, oh man. All right, now by the grace of God, uh, like Paul, uh, in about six hours, my arm, it swelled up, it was my left hand, I took my ring off right away. My hand swelled up to the very extent they brought a surgeon in, they were gonna have to cut it to let all the swelling out, but the swelling went all the way up to about right here, and then my body, by the grace of God, just pushed it back. And it took about a week, but a week later, I could finally touch my hand, all right? finger to thumb. And then just eventually it, it, it slowly came back. Now look, why do I tell you that? Because um, that was just maybe the size of my body. I, you know, he didn't get to inject all the venom in he wanted to, whatever it might've been. Uh, I pushed it back. But, but Paul, miraculously, he just took that little snake and he just shook it off into the fire. Now why did Paul? See, I didn't know. I thought I was an idiot. All right. I might lose my hand. I might have some hack surgeon in LaGrange, Texas come in to, ex to aspirate my hand and cut a nerve. And now even if the snake venom doesn't get me, I'm going to lose use of my left hand. And I was just thinking, because I didn't know. God didn't promise me that I wasn't going to lose my left hand. He didn't promise me that I wasn't going to have some tragedy because I got bit by a copperhead. Paul just shook it off. Why? Because he knew he was going to Rome. Later, when he wrote to the Romans, in Romans chapter 16, he said this, for my God, one day... It says, we'll stomp Satan underneath your feet. All right? Like a snake, it says. God will stomp Satan like a snake underneath your feet. And he was writing the Romans to tell them, don't you worry about Nero. Nero's going to threaten you and tell you that he can destroy you. He can't destroy you. And he, in effect, quotes Paul in Matthew, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus said, hey, I'm going to send you like sheep out among wolves. And they're like, man, that's a bad thing. Can't we choose another mascot? All right? Why, why are you making us the sheep? All right? <laughs> and, and Jesus says, but let me just tell you something. You don't need to worry about wolves that try and destroy your body because you need to worry about me who destroys the body and sends the soul to hell. And Paul told the Romans, don't you worry about Nero. Go see the movie, the apostle Paul. And you watch Paul model saying Nero might behead me. And he does just a few years after this, he said, but Death has lost its sin, sting. Sin does not have a victory. I'm going home. And the enemy's plan to separate me from you has been crushed. I'm shaking it off. And so don't be surprised on your way to Rome that there are stormy seas and vipers. God told you in this world there will be trouble. So why are you surprised at the fire ordeal among you? Why are you surprised you get cancer? Why are you surprised that people betray you? Why are you surprised that the world um, 
acts like it doesn't know God. That's why you're here. Because you do know God and I love them and so I'm going to let you complete what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. That doesn't mean you've got to do any atoning work for the world. The atoning work has been done. We have been set free. We have a living hope. You get to go tell people to move into the quiet place where there is peace. That's all you do. It's free, man. That's why you're here. You're not here to go to a country club church. You're here to be a church filled with conviction that you know what the world needs to hear. Paul was called a murderer and then he was called a God. Let me just say this to you. We don't respond to the world's idea of us and you should not respond to the world's idea of you, but you should be God's ideal in the world that you reside in. So I'm just reading this and I'm just kind of going, man, wouldn't it be a, isn't that a bummer to be Paul? And, and Paul is, is, um, is confusingly uh, ridiculed. You're going to have things said of you that aren't true as you serve Jesus along the way. Let me give you again this application, all right? Um, we don't respond to the world's idea of, of us, okay? I'm gonna put it up there so you can write it down. But God's ideal of you in the world that you reside in. That's what you should be. You go, I'm going to be God's man. The world always misjudges. It's filled with superstitions. John Wooden said this. He said, um, you can't let praise or criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either one. And don't men do that all the time. Um, my buddy Lecrae says, if you live for people's acceptance, you will die from their rejection. Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Hey, don't you think for a second that some of the largest churches in this country are the most successful churches? Because the Bible says that in latter times, people will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desire, who just say, hey, come, and let me tell you that you can have your best life now, no storms, no snakes. We're just going to speak and exist of positive things. And, um, and we just want you to come here, just show up, give me enough money to keep the lights on. You know, don't get arrested and embarrass me in the newspapers this week. And I'll tell you, you're doing everything that God wants you to do. That is a country club to see also an apostate Christianity. You are Acts 2018. You are sent forth. You are evangelists on mission. Every one of us, a kingdom of priests. If you attend services and don't tend to God's business, you are not following Jesus. Spurgeon said this 150 years. This isn't just a, a unique problem today. Spurgeon said this, a time will come when instead of a shepherd's feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns that entertain the goats. That's what's going on in America today. I see a bunch of clowns entertaining goats. And may it not happen here. So when we read this book, we stop and we don't blow through it like we did what we were supposed to do by reading Acts 28. No, we repent and we go, am I doing what I should do? Let me show you something else about Paul. In verse three, here's Paul. He had just saved this entire group of people basically from death. He had saved the prisoners from certain death. He had converted um, you know, the man that was charged with taking care of him, Julius, 
He had won the favor of all those folks. They knew that this was no just prisoner going to talk to Caesar. There was a prophet among them. But what's the prophet do? Does he sit by the fire now and say, man, it's getting a little, that fire's getting a little thin. Why don't you go get some wood? No. What Paul does is he steps up and it says right there, the reason Paul got snake bit is because he could not be a guy that didn't serve. And I stopped and I asked myself, am I that guy? Am I the guy that goes up and gets wood or I'm the guy sitting by the fire hoping somebody else serves me? And so I'm gonna just make a note again, okay? Great leaders who do great things are not immune from trouble. And I will just make another note to myself as I'm reading this, okay? And that is just basically this, that great men are great servants. What made Paul such a great leader is he was constantly serving. He was like Jesus who was a king, but he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give himself as a ransom for many. He took up the towel. He washed his disciples' feet. And he says, that's what you want to do. You want to be like me? Then don't sit by the fire and tell somebody to throw another log on. Get up and go collect wood. But there's snakes out there in the wood. That's fine. If you die, you're going home. But you are not here to be extraordinarily comforted. You are here to be extraordinarily kind. Can I just take a second here and just help my friends who are millennials? Because um, I watched this. Now listen. I watch my millennial friends and they struggle a lot with work because they all want the perfect job. You know, they want the job um, that, that isn't going to be a J-O-B. They want the job that, that, um, that's going to you know, put them on a fast track, maybe to making a lot of money or maybe to do something that's going to change the world. And let me just give you a little insight from Paul right here. Paul was a minister of the gospel. He wasn't a millennial. All right. He, was a, he wasn't a celebrity pastor. He was a servant, all right? Uh, and, and watch this. I just, I just made some notes. I just stopped. This is what you always want to do. You know what your dream job should be? It should be a job where you can add value. What job in the world is there where you can't add value? So Paul's sitting there. He wasn't even employed yet. And he got up and he said, I'm going to make this place better. That fire could use some tending. And so he got up and he added value. And when you add value, people started to go, hey, who's that brother that makes this fire work? I want to give that guy more responsibility. I just wrote this down. Um, uh, uh, great men don't just sit by warm fires built and kept by others. They build and stoke the fires that provide light and warmth for those suffering from the storms of this world. Your dream job should be to exceedingly do, should be, ex to be exceedingly valuable and practical in everything you do. You own it. You own your situation. You add value. You take initiative. You look for opportunities to serve and provide for others. Your goal should be to gain trust in every meeting. That's your dream job, to be excellent in every situation you're in. And guess what happens when you are excellent in every situation you're in, even though you're not in your dream job? People go, you're the dream employee. Let's give you more opportunity. Quit looking for the dream job, millennials. Add value, take initiative, care for others. Do your job and do somebody else's job. It wasn't Paul's job to build a fire, but he did it. Just like Joseph, right? Was Joseph's dream job to be beat up by his brothers, sold as a slave, and clean bathrooms in Egypt? But what did Joseph do? He made those the finest bathrooms in Egypt. And somebody took note. And because they took note, they go, hey, bro, we're going to give you responsibility now over the whole household. Was his dream job to be falsely accused as a rapist and thrown in jail? No. So what did he do? He became the best prisoner in that jail cell. And he used the gifts he had to bless everybody around him. And eventually, Pharaoh saw his Joseph. So quit looking for your dream job and be the dream employee. Be the kind of person that Paul was, 
who wasn't looking to have just this perfect job there, but I talked about how great you were. Be great, and great men are servants. Acts 28. Now in the neighborhood, it says that um, there was uh, lands that belonged to the leading men of the island, and there was, a, there was a Roman that was assigned there called Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went to see him after he had prayed. He laid his hands on him and he healed him. And after this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and were getting cured. And so they honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with everything we needed. And now we're gonna move on. Here's the map. Let me just show you where we're at, right there in Malta, okay? And next week, when we pick this up, you're gonna see that they go up to Syracuse, Rigium, uh, uh, Puteoli, three ends, and he's gonna make his way to Rome. But we're stopping right here this week, all in Malta. And we're saying, look at all this stinking application in Malta. But let me just make an observation here. What did Paul do? Paul heard that Publius, who was there greeting them and part of leading the Maltese, he just said, um, my dad's sick. And so what's it say? Notice the order here in verse eight. Paul was an apostle, had been used by God to do amazing things. He had raised people from the dead. But it says, Paul went to see him and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. I think there's something for us right here, okay? I believe that God today can do whatever he wants to do. But Paul, who himself was used by God to bring the ministry of healing to others, knew that every time that somebody was sick around Paul, he was not going to heal him. See also himself as the primary example. Three times, Paul asked for God to remove from him this thorn in the flesh, and God didn't. So you would think that a minister of healing could, could heal at least himself. And Paul knew he couldn't. There were other times that Paul was around sick people, just like Jesus, he didn't heal everybody. Watch what Paul did. He goes, here's a sick guy. Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I honor you in this community? And what Jesus often does is he uses authenticating works in order to verify that the words spoken are in fact words of God. And Paul prayed. Now listen, I love this quote. Um, we can do more than pray after we have prayed, but we cannot do more than pray until we have prayed. And I think what Paul did is he prayed, said, Lord, what do you want me to do with the father of Publius? And I think he said, I want you to go in there and heal him. And Paul knew that he was going to be able to heal that brother. He went in, he prayed over him and he healed him. And when that happened, they go, this guy didn't just weave in some tail. This is the guy that shook the serpent off. All right. This is the guy that, that saved people through these seas. Everybody's talking about this guy knows what's happening. And now he's telling us about, he knows what happened. He knows that God entered into this world and he just prayed to see this sick father of mine be healed. And it says that many then more people were brought to him and there were many others that were cured. And let me just tell you something. You have the same ability as Paul. I don't know when someone comes to me and they're sick, I'll go, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if God tells me after I pray that he wants to heal you, I believe he can heal you. There's not anything that God can't do. It's just not his pattern to always do that. It wasn't his pattern when Jesus was here. It wasn't his pattern with Paul. But if God tells me to pronounce healing over you, I'll do it, but I better make sure I'm right. Here's what you can do. You can go to Alex Lesko and say, what do you got, bro? You struggle with what? You're infatuated yourself. You're in bondage to pornography. You're suicidal. You hate yourself. You can go to my friend, Matthew Lopez. Matthew, you mean the world that you have served in trying to find acceptance as a D1 athlete, as a lawyer, as an MBA, as an entrepreneur, 
and still you're filled with rage and destructive tendencies and you've been to a psychiatrist to stop the fighting that you're in the middle of and they say, we can't help you. You are labeled by the world a psychopath. I can go up to my friend Matthew Lopez, like a member of this church did, and say, hey, Matthew, Jesus can heal you. I know psychotherapists can't help psychopaths. But the one who made your soul can bring healing to your soul. That's what psychotherapy is. It literally means soul healing. And guess what? Men can't heal souls, but Jesus can. There's not a single person you're going to meet this week that isn't soul sick, that you have not been given the authority of God to bring healing to them. And so you pray about that. And you ask yourself, if you're around Publius' dad who is sick and dying, all right, if you could heal him, would you heal him? Let me tell you something. Every single person you meet is sick and dying. And they're moving towards judgment and you have the ability to heal them. To bring them into a relationship with the living God who has died on the cross for their sins. And when you have Matthew Lopez's who are psychopaths, who are brought to Jesus and now in their right mind, Alex Lesko's who were psychopaths and now are restored in their marriage and walking. Guess what the world does? Who are you people? What's happening over there? Answer, Jesus is doing what he said he would do, which is bringing peace to people. Are you doing that? Woe, woe to you if you're not. Let's go church. Father, I pray that you would get us in the game and that we'd be marked by the extraordinary kindness that always marks people who have much and they're around people who don't have other things. And so Lord, I pray that um, we would be sent forth. We sang at the beginning of this message about our living hope and because we have seen the with the eyes of faith, our living Lord, I pray we'd go out and we'd be on mission and we wouldn't look for folks to serve us. We wouldn't try and build a warmer fire to sit by. We'd get up and we'd collect wood and we'd build fires that the cold and wet and shipwrecked of this world could come to and we can meet them and we can tell them around that campfire about the stories of Jesus and who he is and what he has done and we can invite them to the healing that you intend. Oh Lord, if you wanna use us to pray physical healing into somebody, let us do it. But Father, we know We know you want to heal the wound of sin. And we know you can for all who come to you. And so help us to be men and women who are on mission. If there is somebody here today who is soul sick and has not yet met the assurance that we have that we are going home and we're going to stand before a holy God and the viper of the destruction of the flesh and the way of this world and the enemy's lies on our heart will have no effect on us. If they are not sure that they are at peace with you, I pray they would come and be healed. And if we have been healed, I pray we go and tell folks on the mountain and over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ has come. Help us to be a church who lives with conviction and doesn't love comfort in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Come if you need to know Jesus. Go if you do. Be faithful. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you.